1: Pour yourself a cold one. They strike them, huh? And listen to russ Tucker break down the top college prospects on another tasty edition of the College
0: Draft.
1: Yeah, it is Daddy Soda time here on the College Draft podcast, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's number one rated sportsbook app. And by the way, how about this week' offer on March Madness? Bet one dollar on any team if they win. You win $100. Make sure if you don't have that app on your phone yet, you get it. They also have some awesome stuff going on on the regular DraftKings app as well. But that is sweet. I am Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman, five teams, seven years, already recorded at 6.30 a.m. this morning, the Ross Tucker Football Podcast with Ryan Fitzpatrick, a.k.a. Fitzmagic. What a legend, by the way. I mean, first of all, he had to do it at 6.30 a.m. because he had to take his seven kids to school after that. Secondly, he told the story of how he proposed to his wife at a McDonald's that was attached to a gas station and loved the fact that she had sweet and sour sauce on her finger so the ring slid right on. Then he was talking about the merits of the breakfast corn dog. You got to listen. Listen to today's Ross Tucker Football podcast. That guy is absolutely amazing. You can always check us out at Ross Tucker Pod on social media. I'm at Ross Tucker NFL. We've got that YouTube page now, youtube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL. Speaking of YouTube, the star of this show is my guy, Emery Hunt. Nobody knows more players than Emory Hunt. Nobody. I don't know how he does it. He is an absolute legend. Check him out at FBallGamePlan on Twitter, FootballGamePlan on YouTube, and of course, now more than ever, FootballGamePlan.com slash 2021 draft guide. Emery, how many times have you been called a legend roughly 30 seconds after someone called Ryan Fitzpatrick a legend in the opening
2: statement of, of a show? Not not too many times, but I will say this, though. I feel them on those corn dog breakfast things because I remember in high school, we were like, yo, what the hell is this? It went from that to, yo, you gonna know, you eat your corn dog <laughs> for breakfast, like, because that thing was so good, man. It just hits different in the morning. Yeah, you know, I didn't even know. When he said that, I didn't know what he
1: was talking about. But then when he said the the pancake wrapped around <laughs> the sausage, yes, then I knew what he was talking about. We're talking D-Line today, and we are joined by John Ledyard, a buddy of mine, does an unbelievable job for Pewter Report, among other places. I think John, has your Twitter handle always been Ledyard NFL Draft?
0: It is, and then now they tell me that if I change it, they'll take away my checkmark, and I can't—you can't lose that—the dopamine from that. I mean, come on, you got to keep the checkmark. <laughs> <you know?
1: laughs> um, so he's doing Buck stuff and NFL Draft for Pewter Report. Good year to go over to Pewter Report, Hudge. I can't remember what year you went over there, but you picked a good time.
0: Yeah, it was about a year ago now, so it's been a whirlwind of a year. I, I started last February, and then it was kind of like Brady, Garkowski, all these guys right after that, and a crazy season, and then you come off the bye week, and we actually moved to Tampa Bay during the Bucks' bye week, and obviously they haven't lost since then, so they probably won't let us leave anytime soon, even though there's clearly no direct correlation, but... If people want to give us a little credit, maybe give us a ring or something like that, I'm not going to say no.
1: That is amazing. I am curious, since we're talking scouting and the draft and NFL prospects on this podcast, as a guy that watched every snap they played, followed them very closely, are you able to put a value on what Brady brings to the team psychologically Because I see some of these quotes from these guys where it's like they just knew they were going to win and or it's very clear they don't want to mess up because they don't want to disappoint or let down Tom. I think, if anything, that might be what Belichick underrated or undervalued is sort of the psychology around having Brady as your quarterback. Any examples, anything you could tell, John,
0: following the team? I think that there's definite truth to it. And we do downplay that part of it a little bit in the media sometimes because we can't see it. We're not experiencing it. And we kind of, we understand X's and O's. We can understand player evaluation, but we can't, we're not in the locker. room. We don't hear his speeches. We don't hear him after the bye week tell this team, we're not losing another game. And it's not just that he says that, but it's the fact that, and Levante David told that story recently, but it's not just that he says that. It's the fact that he's done it for as long as he has, you know, it's it's on paper and, and it's happened in real life. And so, Players, I think they know they can take it to the bank. If Brady says something, he's going to back it up with his actions. He's going to do everything he can uh, to make it happen. And so I do think that there's a great value to what he brought to the team psychologically. When you're talking about the losingest franchise in NFL history, uh, one of the losing franchises in major sports. And Brady was able to come in and in a short time and it, and it did start to change the year before for sure. Bruce Arians and an incredible coaching staff. Byron Leftwich deserves a ton of credit, I think, for his ability to work with Brady. I'm not sure Arians of five years ago would have adapted and changed the way that he did this year when he let Leftwich kind of take the reins after the bye week and fix a lot of things with Brady um, that needed to be fixed. And so all those guys deserve a ton of credit. Obviously, Todd Bowles for an unbelievable playoff run, play meaningful to the team. So today we're talking
1: D-line. And before we even get into some of these players, the two things I thought was interesting, number one, Emory, you have it broken down. I mean, I've seen people break down different positions on the D line. But you've got edge guys, 4-3 D ends, 5 technique, 4 eyes, D tackles, and nose tackles. So you've got five different
2: categories of defensive linemen in your mind. Why was that important to you? Is I look at it the same way I look at the receiver position, tight ends corners and safeties like it's hard to just stack guys and call them one thing where they're going to be playing different positions so it's hard to look at what we now call you know this term is you know new fairly new edge uh we used to call them weak side defensive ends right and so now you have edge guys which are essentially guys that you think truly can rush the passer um and four or three guys are you guys that you are your standard what we like to call classic defensive ends so if there's guys that you feel as though are good on both ends of defense and can play with their hand in the ground, you don't want to rate those guys versus some guys that may be what you consider pure pass rushers. Um, and so, and especially with D tackles, like, I think that was something that that, that needs to be done. So I started doing that, I want, I want to say around 2014 um, or 13, when I started to break up the receiver position, because you really just need to have that. You can't compare an Aaron Donald to someone like, uh, 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 what's the what's the guy that we just saw that catch the interception? The fat dude that caught the interception, um, it, it, with the Bears. You can, remember how the Bears had those two big monsters? Oh D- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ted Washington. Ted Washington. And you, can't, you can't have those two guys side by side in categories because they play different positions. Yeah, it's a good point. Really good point. Some people like. I remember Dick
1: John. He liked the bigger the D tackles, the better. And John, on on before we get into some of these guys. I have long maintained, I believe it's the second most important position group after quarterback in the NFL, probably college football as well. And I feel like on some level, you kind of saw that first person this year with the Bucs because that D-line down the stretch was as big of a reason for their playoff run as any.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's clearly one of the most important position groups on the field. It kind of also depends on your scheme. You know, how how do you run your scheme in terms of whether that or your corners are probably more important defensively. But, I mean, yeah, just watching a team like Tampa Bay, I mean, even when a guy like Vita Vea went down, they, they managed to win more games than they lost after that point, but they definitely struggled and they hit some spurts where their defensive line didn't play as well. And when you got a guy like that back for the playoff run, I mean, everybody saw the impact and the difference that it made. And so he's one of those guys that as Emery was talking about, about categorizing guys in position groups, he might even cross some lines in those position groups, because although he plays in the a gap, most of the time, he can really be effective and be a three down player and, and even be kind of a little bit of a penetrating type. And so it is interesting to think about the molds of these players. I think it's critical to evaluate that way. I love the fact that Emery does that. And then where do they cross those lines too? And there's a couple guys for Tampa Bay Think about Jason Pierre, Paul, able to play inside. A couple guys in the Bucks that are able to do that, and it really helps their effectiveness as a unit.
1: All right, so let's start with the edge guys, Emery. I might even just hit the top two guys or so in each group. You've got your number one edge guy as Joe Tryon
2: from Washington. Yeah, to me, I think this is a situation where Everyone forgot about Tryon because he didn't play this year. You see this with a lot of guys that opted out. You kind of get lost in the shuffle because other guys kind of stood out and played well. But you go back and watch Tryon, he's exactly what everybody wants at the position, right? Like long, lengthy, athletic, uh, converts speed to power really well, and was trekking it in the right direction toward the back end of the 2019. And, and you know, to not play in 2020, we just didn't get to see that growth continue to to move in the right direction. But you still look at what he did at Washington – knowing that defense and you know what they do out there in development of their players and how you really can't go wrong with someone that plays defense at Washington because of their scheme and development and you factor that into what he could potentially be I see Montez sweat when I see Joe Tryon so for someone as long-lengthy athletic that can really get after the quarterback I think he needs to be talked about in you know in that first round category especially with the league wanting these guys and in a in an, uh, a draft class where there's not those guys, he is the closest thing to those guys that you want uh, this this
0: year. John, what'd you see when you studied Tryon? Well, I, I think Emory's right about the the well the NFL ready body for sure is something that teams will check off their list, I and mean, he's prepared from that standpoint, I think. But for me, I do wish he was more explosive. I wish he had a little bit better plan of attack. You know, I watched the game against Washington State and they they all those three-man rushes, and so he does get doubled at times. But he seemed kind of like a bull in a china shop. He's running around. He's, going, he's crazy. He plays with a frenetic pace, but there needs to be more detail to his game, in my opinion, more technique to his game. I think that he's going to play in the NFL, and I wonder if there's a future for him as maybe a guy that can kick inside situationally too. Um, so he is pro-ready in a lot of ways the team's like. I do wonder what the ceiling is with Tryon and if it's as high as some of the other guys in this class, even if he's a little bit closer to being guys ready to see the field.
1: As for some of these other guys, John, Ronnie Perkins, Cam Sample from Tulane, Ronnie Perkins from Oklahoma, Carlos Basham from Wake Forest, Quincy Roche from Miami. Is there a guy out of those other four that Emery listed that really jumped out to you?
0: Well, I'm glad Emory put Cam Sample down because I got to tell—I just really like Cam Sample. I think he might be one of those guys that he was put in a role. I mean, sometimes he's head up on the tackle, and sometimes he's—he's he's tight to the formation, and he's playing in a square stance. And I just wonder what we saw him kind of unleashed a little bit at the Senior Bowl. Man, it was impressive. I mean, he was really good in that regard, and he has kind of this tweener body a little bit, but he plays with such great leverage and power. I think he might be one of those hidden gems in this class where he's going to get drafted in the mid-rounds, but then he ends up just being a guy that situationally can do a lot of things to help your team. He's, I think he's quick enough to play on the edge, powerful enough to play inside situationally. He can cross the face of guards. I like his game a lot. I think that there's the, potential for him to be a more productive player in the NFL than he was in college.
1: He does have, Emery, a unique body. I did a couple two-lane games. What's he, like 6'2", 270 maybe, something like that?
2: Yeah, and in my you know, in my guide, I compared his game to Melvin Ingram. Same type of body that we call that those pig defensive ends. Like they're just burly guys, but they can play across the board. Yeah, so him and his teammate Patrick Johnson have those unique body types, but they play really well with them.
1: So uh, we might get back to some of the other guys, but there's a, a couple guys at the 4-3 DN that I want to get to. So, Jalen Phillips from Miami, all right? Now, I've done the U.S. Army Bowl. I probably did it four or five years. I, You know, not every year, but I did it four or five years in a row, the U.S. Army Bowl. Jalen Phillips might have been the most impressive slash most NFL-ready guy that was there. He was like 6'6", 255. Good get-off, good with his hands. I mean, I I watched him. I said, this guy is going to be a top-15 pick. Like, you could just see it already. Now, he had weird – I think he went to UCLA and then transferred. And he's had a weird path to get here. Uh, But even just watching him this year, a a few games, Miami games, it was kind of like, John, it was like, yeah, that's the guy that I remembered from the Army Bowl. What did you see from Phillips?
0: Well, he's my number one edge. I really like his tape. Um, again, before Miami, there were definitely concerns. I mean, at UCLA, it was—I think—he was the number one prospect in the country for some recruiting services, and he just—it didn't work out at all at UCLA for a number of reasons. Con- concussions and injuries were uh, part of it for sure. And then he took the year off. He medically retired. Took the year off. Football was into music. Then came back and was like, "I want to still do this." Missed it. I think changed his body from like 218 pounds to 266 pounds or something like that. When he got to Miami, just a real transformation for him physically. I think that's a good indication to me because it shows there is that commitment to the game. And I, I love when athletes are into other stuff, but I know the reality with the NFL, they'll say, you know, does this guy love the game enough, you know, all this kind of stuff. And and, and the concussions will be a part of the evaluation too. So the fact that he was able to transform his body the way that he was able to perfect some things technically and able to produce the way that he was while staying healthy during this past season was a huge arrow pointing up for him, especially in an edge class that might lack some of that. You know, They don't have a, a Nick Bose a Joey Bose, or the type of guys that – you know, a, a, a Chase Young that we've had in recent classes. And so because of that, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jalen Phillips' potential. He's still getting there for sure, but when you talk about a guy who's able to win outside the hip of the offensive tackle, through the offensive tackle, crossing the face of the offensive tackle – To me, he checked those boxes enough. You want to see it more consistently in the NFL, but I think he has the ability to do it all.
2: You
1: obviously like him, Emory. You have him ranked number one.
2: Yeah, imagine Olivier Vernon in the bigger body. I think that's what Jalen Phillips brings to the table. I think folks are also underrating his ability versus the run. That's why I have him as a a 4-3 in because he was good on both ends of defense. You talk about someone that could set a strong physical edge, can really read the run game, get off a block, and make a play. And I thought his timing was great this year, too. You had the speed rusher on the opposite side and Roche, and you had the controlled defensive end on the opposite side with Phillips. And for him to be able to to work with his hands, be good versus the run, take the run game seriously, um, in addition to what he can do as a, as a pass rusher, I just thought his game was more complete and project more so to being someone that could leave on the field, you know, for all three or four downs.
1: And, Emory, you have Peyton Turner from Houston Number two, I remember being impressed by him physically when I called a Houston game. I guess I called a couple of Houston games a couple of years ago against Oklahoma and Washington State, and Peyton Turner was
2: definitely someone that stood out to me. For me, I, I called I called him Chaos on Wheels. He seems like he would be that guy that you would hate to block because his energy and you know all that stuff is all throughout the game. Like yo, take a play off and. But if you watch the BYU game, again, you know how I feel about those BYU offensive linemen. Man, he really was just giving Christensen a hard time, you know, and just really, you know, gave guys hard times. He could, you know, rush inside if need be, rush outside. He has good length. He plays with it. Um, you want to see the the aggressiveness get under control a little bit because he can be a bit wild. But, man, chaos on Wills, if you have that on your scouting report, that's someone that I want, you know, on my defensive line.
0: John, you get a chance to check out Peyton Turner at all yet? Absolutely. He's uh, exactly like I already described, actually. He is really crazy uh, to watch a play. I mean, again, frenetic pace, not dissimilar from Tryon in that way, but you're talking about a body that is probably more like Marcus Davenport in some ways. I really like the fact that he can kick inside, too. At 270 pounds, he's he's not so heavy that you're totally worried about him in space at, at the on the edge. But he's also heavy enough and I think violent enough for sure that you could play him inside. Technically, there needs to be work, consistency needs to be found. I think he he found it for a, for a multiple-game stretch for maybe the first time in his college career this past season. So definitely a guy arrow pointing up. It's just a matter of can he get with a good defensive line coach? Seems like he loves the game. He loves playing for sure. Um, can somebody take that approach and all the tools and the length and the physicality and the hands and, and, and mold it all into a full-time NFL player? Because that's the question with guys like his size, his build, do they have this full-time role and where is it? And can we find that role for them in our defense? And I, I really, I'm, I'm high on what he could be in the NFL for sure.
1: So I want to get to some of these D tackles because I think it's just such an important position and it's, and your rankings are interesting to me, Emery. Your number one guy, Davion Nixon from Iowa. I got to be honest with you. I never heard of the guy until I watched Iowa play Penn State. Good gracious. I mean, he beat Penn State by himself. That was unreal. I was like, who is this guy? He's like picking off passes and returning him for touchdown. I don't even know where they got him, but he was really impressive. What's it out to you about him?
2: That the fact that he was, like, you sit there and watch it. I will kind of watch games quietly, like you know, just so I could just focus and hone in. And I'm just like, damn, he really whipping this dude. And it didn't matter what game I was watching. Um, so it was like his his quickness off the ball, you know, the fact that he could use his hands. He got a variety of ways to get to the quarterback. All those good things you like to see from a defensive tackle. And I I watched him. I want to say because I I can't kind of go in alphabetical order by school you know, just picking guys and and throwing them in there. So by the time I got to the eyes, you know, I've seen a lot of defensive tackles and I was like, all right, you know, this guy can do this, this guy. But when I saw him, he just stood out consistently like, damn. And that's why he had, you know, the tape that I considered, you know, to be the top in the classes. So his ability to win quickly, he probably is the closest thing to the true three tech that you see at the position in his class. John, does he remind
1: you of anybody in the league? Is it What did you
0: see from him? Well, I don't know if I would confine To me, with comparisons, I like them to come, like, really organically. So can I just – does a guy just pop into my head when I watch him? I didn't necessarily feel that way when I was watching him. There's clearly really – like Emery was saying, the way he moves is, is very good for a defensive tackle. It's the kind of prospect in terms of a profile that you're very intrigued by, I think. Um, my biggest thing with him was just too many times I thought he saw – I saw him stuck to blocks. You know, how do you use your hands – to To disengage from blocks on a consistent basis, to me, that was the one. Now, when he w- can win with his first step and beat guys to spots, he's a really effective player. So it'll be up to NFL teams, I think, to make sure, like Emmer's saying, in that three technique role, you make sure they're putting him in positions where he can win and putting him in a defense that allows him to use his best traits to his advantage while his hands and his pass rush plan and parts like that of his game develop. If he if he can do that, it's very enticing for sure. So. What stood out to me about your rankings, Emory, is
1: a guy I saw play in high school. You've got Christian Barmore as your fourth D tackle. So this guy, I don't know where he came from, man. I never heard of him until he was a senior in high school. All of a sudden, he's playing Newman Goretti. And it looked like he had – those kids had no business being – literally, nobody had ever heard of him. I'm not sure he had ever played football before. Then, his senior year, he is destroying everyone. And he went from zero scholarships to a scholarship to Alabama. And he was going there. It feels like he's been inconsistent in his career at Alabama, Emory. Is that why he's not
2: ranked as high for you? That, that's a big reason why. And when you watch him, I had concerns about his pad level, um, ability to take on double teams. That's a technique in and of itself. Uh, so those things he had to get better at. But on the flip side of that, you look at someone that's a retro sophomore. So in my eyes, he has growth potential. You know, a lot of times I feel like personally, I feel like if you're a senior, or, or even like a junior retro junior, you're You what you see is what you're gonna get. You don't get better. Um, but if you're a retro so- sophomore or a true junior or someone like that into the draft early, you still have a little bit of room to grow your game. And I think that's the enticing part by barmore's game but yeah he has to get better at double teams he has to get better um and, and taking on those one-on-one blocks but i mean but you like what he does do well because he was able to dominate you don't normally see a defensive lineman being mvp of a game and he was the mvp of the championship game so that that speaks volumes to his potential and i think he does have potential because he was a redshirt sophomore
0: john what stood out to you about barmore well, yeah, what Emory's saying, I mean, being a redshirt sophomore, so you leave that room for growth, I think, which is smart to do. The best part about Barmore is that as that redshirt sophomore season went on, he was playing his best football. You know, beginning of that season, it was fine, you know, but it didn't look like a first round guy. It looked like a guy that should go back to school. And, you know, without the context of the defensive tackle class, which, you know, usually isn't our, it doesn't seem like it's our best defensive tackle class in recent years. You would have thought, okay, go back to school and get a little bit better. But then when you have the type of stretch that he had toward the end of the season, it it suggests a player that's closer to hitting that peak when they get to the NFL. And so, again, like Emery was saying about the pad level and the run defense, I get concerned when I watch him on tape. I like his upside as a player, but again, when you stand straight up off the ball as a defensive tackle, as often as he does, it's typically going to be hard to keep you on the field all three downs until you fix that, and I don't know that it always is fixed. So that's my biggest concern with him. The flip side is that as a pass rusher, I really thought he grew a lot as the season went on. Those guys typically find a way to make plays in the NFL. Um, even Bama guys you know, have typically been – Bull rushers, right? They're trying to go right down the middle of everybody that they face. And in the NFL, that's just a lot harder to do. Everybody's big and everybody's strong. So I always look to see if interior rushers know how to cross the face and set up their opponent. Can they win to their edge? Even on the inside, can they win to their edge and bend to the pocket or find a way to, to impact the pocket? He did that down the stretch this the season. So I'm very intrigued. Can he get on the field all three downs? Can he hold up uh, in the run game? In the NFL, well enough. In college, it was just kind of like brute strength over technique. You got him by in the run game. But in the NFL, he's going to need his technique to come along if he wants to be an every-down player.
1: Well, you better have good technique when you're playing nose tackle. That's for sure. And your number one guy is a guy I've heard a lot of people talk about, Emery, the nose tackle from
2: NC State, Alim McNeil. Yeah, he took on double teams really well. And I think it, his consistency in that department – uh, yields itself to him being the number one uh prosper because he has a little bit more wiggle than my number two guy. Um my number two guy is literally just the rock of Gibraltar just set there in the middle uh in Tyler Shelvin out of LSU. But McNeil you know, has a little bit more twitch to him to where you can see a pathway says uh you know he could play nose, probably be a shade, one technique, something like that, because he can really get underneath um a guard's arm and walk him back with, with that aspect of his of his uh rushing ability. But Um, because he's able to handle double teams and sometimes he's able to split them very well or does a good job in taking them on to where the linebacker has an easier job to make the play. That, to me, is something that you can't teach or coach. You know, that technique is something that uh, if you have it going into the NFL, it bodes well for you to play, uh, you know, a good deal uh, as a rookie or just long-term because the NFL really doesn't teach technique uh, per se. So having that technique going in is, is big.
0: McNeil, John? Yeah, I won't be surprised if in a couple of years we look back because he has the no-stack ability, hold up against double teams, play in the A-gap, do a lot of the dirty work. But also we're talking about a really explosive dude. And so if he keeps growing as a pass rusher, I mean, there's a potential for all three downs impact. There's potential for him to move around the defensive line. Um, I, I just think there's a really high, a higher ceiling for McNeil um, than some of the other guys, and he's already – pretty close to being a really – I mean, he's already a really good prospect, and I think he could be a really good player in the NFL. So I I do think there's a lot that McNeil can offer a team and the potential versatility as an inside player uh, to impact all three downs. Again, not a lot of nose tackles also have the first-step quickness that he does, and so it's a really fun combination. And in the right defense, he could be one of the guys, again, that's a day-two pick that surprises as the year goes on and as his career goes on. So
1: I mentioned this earlier, by the way. I'll mention it again. Right now, if you go to DraftKings on the Sportsbook app, you bet a dollar on any team that's still in the tournament. If they win, you get $100. Just trust me on that one. If you want to make the games even more interesting than you already have. So, uh, Emery, I want to give you the floor. One more guy. You can only talk about one more guy. It can be at any low edge, 4-3 DN, five technique, whatever you want. If you can only talk about one more guy, who would it be?
2: It probably would be a sleeper, underrated guy, so to speak. But Marcus Spencer to, from uh, Mississippi State is my number one five technique. You think about a guy that is 300-plus pounds but moves fluidly, so he can play out on the edge if you want him to uh, as a DN or kick inside, obviously, as a defensive tackle. What made his story interesting, I was like, man, this dude is moving really well. I had to check his height, weight again to make sure he was 300 pounds. Then I realized, oh, he came into Mississippi State as a linebacker. But now going with into the you know his evaluation with that aspect, he didn't lose his eyes from the second level once he played on defensive line. So he's able to read really well at the point of attack. So he's able to lock and extend and then read and follow the ball. So I think he's an underrated player at his big size uh, that plays with linebacker eyes at the defensive line level. John, if you could only talk
1: about one more guy, who would it be? I'd
0: probably talk about Ojolari uh, just because he is kind of a – I don't want to say he's a – I mean, in some ways, he's going to be a polarizing prospect, right? There are these people who believe he is a top ten prospect in the class. There are people who think that he has the, all the elite traits to be this great player in the NFL – And I did think when I watched him on tape, I saw a guy that won with bursts off the ball and the ability to corner on guys. You know, he has that cross chop in his repertoire. But really, that's it. So there's not really a power element to his game, but he is physical. So, it's again, it's kind of like arrow pointing up type of thing. But then he tests, and it's okay, but it's not great. And for a guy who wins mostly on athleticism at the college level – you'd like to see really good testing numbers and not just like okay testing numbers, especially when you consider he's light for, for an edge defender too. And you have to weight adjust a lot of those numbers. And so I am, he is one of the guy that I I don't think I'm going to be quite as high on as everybody else. I don't have a first round grade on him. I do think he's still, you look at his tape and you're like, okay, this is an explosive guy for sure. There is a physicality to him that could unlock another aspect of his game and he can defend the run. But if you're going to be a special pass rusher in today's NFL as an undersized guy, you really have to have speed and bend. I don't think you can do it without being able to win on the outside hip of an offensive tackle. To me, that's where his whole success in the NFL will come. If he can win on that plane consistently and then the rest of his game, you know, the ability to dip back under guys with power moves or just by crossing the face of tackles. That part of his game can develop, maybe, but if he doesn't have that explosiveness to translate to the NFL, then he could be one of those guys that ends up busting at the next level. Check him out
1: on Twitter at Ledyard NFL Draft, doing great stuff on the Bucks and the NFL Draft for Pewter Report. He's a terrific follow. Of course, check out Emery as well at FBall Game Plan, Football Game Plan on YouTube, which is amazing. And most importantly, This time of year, I got mine. You need to get yours. Footballgameplan.com slash 2021 draft guide. He's got sleepers on top of sleepers on top of underrated on top of sleepers. It is amazing. Other than that, the keg is kicked. We are all tapped out. Thanks for listening to the College Draft Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and The Business of Sports. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found. A lot of times on the show, I mention DraftKings. Here's what you need to know. you got to be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or in Indiana, 100